0: Hello everyone. Welcome in September 11th. We have yes, Amani and Mandy have returned. Okay. Mandy. We're back. How was your trip? you were back. Had a week off for Labor Day. You had a trip. Talk to us about your trip.
1: Well, Amani, I went to Tampa for the HPN annual partner conference and This is more like a family reunion every year because, you know, we're all remote. There's 200 of us. We're all over the world. And then all the hotel partners that, you know, that we do business with all the time come in for this meeting to, you know, to reconnect and show us their wares and tell us what new openings are happening and new renovations. And so it's part education, part networking, part family reunion. And it was awesome. And it was I got to tell you, I was at, I was in Tampa two years ago for the MPI thought leadership conference. Mm-hmm. And that was, I had been to Tampa many years prior to that. And I was like, okay. But in 2021, I opened my eyes to just the improvements in Tampa. Like that whole water street district was spectacular. And then just even two years later, there's so many more things that have happened. So um, it was awesome. I'm, I'm tired. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> because I, uh, I was bound and determined to work out at 6am every day while I was there. And I did. And I Congrats. intentionally told people like I said, Hey, we're meeting at this time. So like if I, I couldn't cancel. And so I did it. But that also meant I was getting like six hours of sleep a night, which you know, I like, I like my sleep. I'm a sleep hound. Yes. So I'm a little tight yes. right now.
0: We like the sleep on Chris. Thank you for the compliment. Chris likes our new intro. We appreciate that. Shout out to Corbin who made that for us. So amazing work. We
1: love Corbin.
0: We do very much. Why don't we, and you talk to us a little bit about, no, you say no, no.
1: Amani, no. Wait a minute. (laughs) I want to hear, I I have some very, (laughs) you can't, we can't take the camera off you for a second. I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing, Amani.
0: What am I doing?
1: I have two quick questions. You have a birthday coming up this week. And I, I want to know, like, do you have any birthday rev- like resolutions? What are you going to do for your birthday? What, like, Can we talk about your birthday? Because the world would yeah. be so much different <laughs> if you were never born. So can we talk about your birthday really <laughs> oh, quick? So
0: <laughs> sure. Birthday's on okay. Thursday, the 14th of September.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to get some in and out. That's my treat. One of my treats there in and out. And then I'm going to buy myself something. I don't know what it is quite yet. Someone else has asked me. So I have to get back to you on that. Um, Resolutions for the year. Mm, That's a good one. Maybe just uh, try not to overthink things because we got a lot of big things coming up like the next year. Books going to come out. I'm confident in Maybe, you know, potential move or something. So there's just limit the overthinking and just go for it will be the resolution for my next year. Cause this past year was quite interesting.
1: (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Like trust your gut and just go for it. Also, if anybody has some ideas of what Amani should buy for himself for his birthday, pop that in the chat or comment on our adventures in business, Instagram, a comment on, Amani should buy himself that, that, dot, dot. I'm curious what people okay. think you should buy yourself. I think that's a good, okay. good treat for you. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Now, well, thank I just you wanted for to make asking. sure we commented your birthday. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Now talk to us about our esteemed guest today.
1: Our esteemed guest is a brilliant human. I mean, anytime I've had a conversation with this person, my, my brain is, it is mind blown. She is so cerebral. She is the CEO of multiple companies. She has a, publish, a boutique publishing firm. She's an expert on personal brand strategy, and she is a nonprofit leader and, and super committed to helping kids become authors and just have an entire you know, creative journey earlier than people normally writing books to it. So I think we should bring Krista Clive-Smith to the stage.
0: Yes. Round of applause for Krista. There it is. Awesome.
2: Amazing.
1: Hi, Krista. Welcome. Okay. Can you tell us where where are you coming to us from today? Because you typically come to us from places all over the world. So first tell us where you're coming to us from and then tell us why you're always somewhere else and i love i I love where your backgrounds always are
2: yes so i'm a born and raised canadian girl uh, but in 2008 i defected to the sunshine of san diego i wanted to start spending half my year somewhere warm and i didn't want to wait till i retired to do it And that very quickly led to being full-time in San Diego. And then in 2019, my husband and I sold off our lives and moved to Africa for a year. And that was really the beginning of this season of our lives where we knew by that point, our daughter Kennedy was seven And we knew we had this glorious window from seven till high school where we wanted to show her the world. We want her to go to school in foreign countries and learn different languages and really understand what it means to be a global citizen from a first-person perspective rather than teaching her through books. We wanted her to live it. And so now we split our time between South Africa, usually is sort of May through end of August, Then we're in Canada for ski season. Then we're in San Diego in the spring. And then in 2024, we're adding Greece for four weeks in July, then back Mm. to South Africa. And then we're trying to find a school for her in India in the fall of
1: 2024. Oh, wow. That's super interesting.
0: I want to ask a follow-up because I like to do my research. So when I was doing my research... You said before that you wanted your daughter to be kind of maybe the only white American in a classroom full of other people. Why is that important to you?
2: Well, I feel like in life, so often, when you come from a place of privilege, you don't really know what it means to be completely different. You don't, no one makes fun of your accent. No one, you know, like, the things that happen when you are literally the minority. I mean, when she first went to school in Africa, she was the only white kid uh, in her grade. And I felt like prior to doing that, Her adversity training in life was riding the school bus. And Mm -hmm. honestly, Amani and Mandy, I just wanted more for her than that. Like, I want her to be, you know, getting, you know, tussled by life in these ways that will make her be a better person. And indeed it has. I mean, she literally does get made fun of for her accent and she'll come home in tears and one day she caught me smiling when that happened. She's like, where's what's going on? And I'm like, well, I may have called that forth for you (laughs) unexpectedly, Mm -hmm. because that's exactly the situations I want you to have. Mm -hmm. Life isn't just a bed of roses. And the more that we can learn to be resilient, tolerant humans who see each other for the beings that we are versus anything on the surface, I think the planet will be a better place. Mm. One more so far, follow
0: up. Yeah. Why, and then we'll go to you, Manny. Why the choice of South Africa out of all the countries in Africa?
2: Yes so I actually married a South African and so <laughs> when we have our family values uh, family freedom and adventure round out the top three and so living with family in our number one value place our parents are getting older so using the three home bases of San Diego Canada and South Africa that's where we have family so those are our jumping off points and then now this year as we've gotten a, a taste we've found our our footing. Uh, because now we're in our third cycle of all the different schools because she goes to the same school each time. Uh, Now we're going to throw some very unusual ones in and
1: putting her in the deep end in India.
0: All right. (laughs) Mandy, over to you.
1: Well, I'm curious from Kennedy's perspective, like if we were to ask her what her most interesting adventure has been or what her takeaway from this experience has been, what do you think she would say?
2: Someone asked her that just the other day, and she was talking about how, for example, when she was in South Africa just a couple of weeks ago, there were some kids who came from West Africa who spoke French, and none of the kids there could communicate with them, but because she learns French when she's in Canada... She walked over and was able to actually put together a conversation with these kids. And I think there's those little surprises that she has. And now that she's come and started school this past week in Canada, there's um, a girl who has moved to Canada who speaks Spanish as her primary language. And that was what Kennedy was learning when she was in San Diego. And so just even those types of experiences I think are surprises and like welcome things that she's like, man, this is cool. I can communicate and support all of these kids in a way that nobody else can. Because she's a total and- giver from a heart perspective. She loves to help and give.
1: Yeah. Well, I, So now that we're on the giving, that's actually a really good segue. Can you talk about your company culture? Because I know you have a, philo- a go-giver philosophy from the go-giver book. But can you talk about the book and, and how that translates and shows up within your personal company culture. Yes.
2: So the culture is driven by our five core values, which are in order, family, freedom, philanthropy, we call it go-giver spirit after the book, The Go-Giver, always learning and no bitches, because we really do believe in the power of the human spirit in kindness and in so Going through life, you can be a go-getter and you will get a lot of places. And in fact, when we bring on new team members, we've always done the Enneagram as one of the assessments and we have system-wide achiever is in their top two or top three. Um, And so that has been a powerful thread, but in being a go-getter, and being an achiever, if you just shift gears, almost like when you're driving a car to becoming a go giver and putting value at the center of everything, it's magical, it comes back a hundredfold, And we don't do that as a mechanism to get more. It just is, it feels good. And it gets better results because people can actually feel vibrationally You're not in it to sell them something. You're not in it to, you're genuinely looking to add value and support and help. And I think that makes a big difference in what you receive back in return, both emotionally
1: and results-wise. I totally agree. And it's a great way to qualify people on your team because not everybody is a go-giver and that's fine too, but if that's what you want to inspire... Um, It's a great qualifier of like, if you're a go-giver or not, like just if you are, you belong. And if not, there's somewhere else you belong, but not here. So I think it's a good uh, discerning point too. Totally.
0: Can we, can we go back to the beginning? And I'm curious as to your career ending figure skating injury. What did that teach you?
2: it taught me almost everything i know honestly because, <laughs> because yes. <laughs> yeah my identity was so wrapped up in the what i did i didn't know who i was without that and you know laying there on the ice with my hip flexor torn in half um. you know it wasn't just the physical injury that ended my singles career it was the glass globe of my identity smashing into a million pieces on the ice beside me. And now with the personal branding work that we do, we really aim to help people sort of flip the org chart. So if you imagine a traditional org chart for a company where you have a brand at the top and the people at the bottom, the people spend their whole lives promoting the brand only to get fired, tire get ousted want to start a second side hustle and now that model just doesn't work anymore so my model flips it and puts the person at the top and that brand is based on who you are because that is the one place that is the most long lasting throughout a human lifetime so building your brand value and equity around the who you are then the what you do that can be where you start to create some sub consumer facing brands and so from a mobility standpoint Mm. and evolution standpoint this model allows you to keep pace and i'd have never figured any of that out had i not gotten injured because you know when i look at the who i the brand at the top that was krista the skater but no the who i and it's taken decades to Mm. figure Mm. out how to create and have confidence and value and worth in the who i am not just in the what i do
0: so that, that reminds me of a saying I heard, um, I think I heard Les Brown say this, is what you do is not who you are. So that's what you're saying. For people like the three of us, we're authors, we're speakers, we're DJs, we do lots of different things. How does that form our personal brand in the best way possible?
2: Well, it's the who you are, what do you stand for that people can get behind. When you think of true leadership, we're all in positions of leadership. And that's something that so many people think that leadership comes from a position on an org chart or a position of voted authority of some kind. But really, leadership is not that at all. Leadership, regardless of title, is showing up with Authority and command, standing for something that allows people to, you know, be inspired to want to follow you. And so bringing those values and that culture that you were talking about, Mandy, into the mix, that is what creates your own brand of leadership that is unique to every other person on the planet. And I really, really. That's the biggest lesson that I hope to impart to the next generation is that being yourself, like who you were created to be Mm. unapologetically, like brashly, like fully raw, real and authentic. That is your greatest superpower that you could ever, ever play from. And it can't be copied. And so many people just like. Don't really get that because we spend the first half of our lives trying to fit in and the last half trying to stand out.
1: Oh, it's like it's so true. Yeah. It's like you're who you are authentically is the greatest differentiator that you could ever have. Well, while while we're there, like while we're on your personal branding story, I want to talk about your book, your great book um, that came out. But I want I want you to share so. It, it's Get Noticed, Be Remembered. And it's a personal branding story. But can you tell us about why you wrote the book and then the first kind of like 10 years of the journey of the book? Because something that you talk about a lot is like after you write a book, you your book has its own life and you never know what that life is going to be. So you talk about, you know, why you wrote the book and then what that first 10 years life's journey of the book looked like. Yes, so my first
2: company was a professional organizing company that I franchised. And when we would go into people's homes and offices, I really saw that people's possessions told a story about who they really were authentically, even if they weren't conscious of that. And So that's where the idea of personal branding was born for me. But you have to remember, this was in 2001 when I started that company. And so Mm. when the book first launched, it was in 2003. So building a personal brand strategy for success, people are like, personal branding, what is this chick talking about? (laughs) Because social media, as we know it today, hadn't been invented yet. Like MySpace had, but it was more for like, underground bands and things back in those days. And so when the book came out, nobody wanted to read it. And I really, you know, I had a lot of self-esteem uh, wrapped up in, in the fact that no one wanted to read it. And it was it was quite heartbreaking. And I oftentimes, even with the organizing company, back then people are like, there was no Marie Kondo, there was no the home edit. And so what I started to realize it took decades, though, is that most of my ideas are about 20 years too soon. (laughs) But again, when you don't know that that's the problem, you just keep thinking, why can't people see what I can see? And so with the book, after that time, I just felt like, ooh. It, it was harder on my system to have it be out there than just to pull it from distribution, which is what we did. And then in 2018, I decided to just put it up on Amazon almost as a lark because I thought, well, if I got hit by a bus, I'd at least want the you know the family and the kids to like know that I've written this book. And it did. It it was finally an idea whose time has come, and so it went on to win an international and a national book award that year. And then I think, honestly, one of the highlights of my career is getting a call from Purdue University. And they said, listen, we've chosen your book to be the textbook for an undergrad and graduate level course that we're designing on personal branding. And I burst out, I'm like, my, my old book from way back when," <laughs> um, And so it is writing a book and your own thought leadership Just having the confidence to go forth and continue to pursue, 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 and just as you're creating, let it go. And trust the timing and because it does have its own life path. And when the market is ready, the audience will be there and it'll take on a whole life of its own.
1: Mm, I love that. Can you repeat the name of the book again in case anybody wants to go out and- get the book or any any university programs want to go out and make it, make it a part of their program too.
2: Yes, Get Noticed, Be Remembered, Creating a Personal Brand Strategy for Success. And it's in dire need of a new edition. Uh, <laughs> so, so yes, rest assured there will be one of those coming.
0: We have a That's question awesome. from the chat, Vicki Meldrum. She asks, she says, how do we encourage the younger generation to be unabashedly themselves? Good question,
1: Vicki.
2: I think it comes down to creating resilient kids who aren't afraid of failure. So for example, at the dinner table, many people are like, how was your day? Well, we ask very pointed questions like, what was your biggest failure or flop or mistake? Because being able to quickly make mistakes and move past them allows you to be fearless in moving forward. And I think that being fearless releases that attachment to what people think of you and their opinions of you. Because I think so often we create a personal brand that is what we think the world wants of us rather than going with intuitively what is most authentic. And so I think the younger generation, yeah, it's helping them to get out and get their feet wet and make mistakes so that they can build the confidence to be fearless, to have the courage. Because courage, I used to think courage was something people just had or they didn't have. But it turns out that courage is something you can build like a muscle when you're going Mm. to the gym. And so finding new ways and new opportunities to build the muscle of courage. So one way that I do it, I have a birthday challenge that I do every year. It's my mm-hmm. gift to myself. So Amani, knowing you've got a birthday coming up. Bom, bom, yeah. Take it. Uh, this yeah. could be something take, take for you. <laughs> could be something okay, for I'll
0: you. Taking notes. And taking notes. Yeah.
2: Um, and it's just something that I do each year that gives me total sweaty palms at the thought of doing it. And I do it for the purpose that as I grow older, I just don't want the dust to settle on the bottle, you know? And so shaking up the snow globe of my life, at least once a year keeps me in that habit of, "Woo, okay, this is going to be a giant flop. I know it. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do it anyways. And I'm not afraid to fail because being able to move in and from failure quickly I think is the answer to the question for how we can get people to take those risks and be raw, real and vulnerable.
0: Speaking of courage, um, I have a two part question. First is how did you gather the courage to embrace your inner gypsy lifestyle? Cause you hop around from place to place. <laughs> And then, how do you manage your business living in so many drastic different time zones? It's not like you're going from LA to Chicago to New York, but you're going across the world. Right. So, yes. how do you kind um, of? That's a two part question. So, I'll let you kind of start and we'll go from there.
2: So, building courage. And um, can you just remind me how you worded that question exactly? So, I don't want to yeah. deviate from getting it right well, on
0: building. Building the courage to fully embrace your gypsy lifestyle. Yeah. That's the question.
2: Totally. So the first thing for me was actually awareness because I grew up. It's (laughs) what you believe is possible is going to be your reality. And so I grew up in a situation where I was a born and raised Canadian. And when I started looking at my energy in my late teens and early 20s, I realized that so much of what I love to do was in the warm weather, sunshine, and that energetically in the winter, when I would go to a place like San Diego, I would just feel this infusion of life force coming through that I had was missing half the year living in Canada. And so as soon as I realized that, Um, I met a woman who was a snowbird. That's the term for Canadians who live, spend their winters down south. Uh, But she was 55. And that was the youngest snowbird I'd ever met before. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. Well, why couldn't I do that? I'm 33. So... I didn't see any reason why not. I assure you, Homeland Security of the United States, when I got to the border, they had a problem with it and probably turned (laughs) me around and denied me entry. (laughs) Um, It took two tries and about 10 hours of interrogation over the two different times. And eventually they did let me in because, of course, you can't just move to another country and work from there. So there were visa things and a whole lot of things that ended up happening. But having the courage was literally just the realization that you could do something like that. Mm -hmm. Because once I knew, oh, this was possible, then again, I'm going to go forth and try it because that, that, you know, courageous piece where I'm not afraid to fail that I've developed over time, that that worked for me. So it was born from that. But now this gypsy piece, that's something different. And I will give all the credit to the mistake I made with the first company that I built because I was sitting at the investor table with the term sheet in front of me for our North American expansion of the organizing company. At that time, we had locations in Vancouver, Calgary, and Toronto. And I just sat there and I realized that brick by brick with my own two hands, I'd built a prison that I was living in. And if I were to sign on that term sheet, I'd be signing up for more of that. And I just knew in that moment, I couldn't do it. And I literally put the pen down on the unsigned sheet, slid into the table, stood up and said, I'm out. And I didn't know what I was going to do next, but I knew in that moment and that was the day that I committed that I would never ever again build a company that I couldn't operate from anywhere on the planet. And remembering, this was in 2007 that I made that commitment, so and the, our last day of operations was December 31st, 2007. So it was 2008 when I actually went to San Diego. Technology wasn't ready for the gypsy lifestyle because again, a little too soon, but Making the commitment meant that when I I saw what was possible, and I believed in it, and I was ready to go for it, that defined the type of business I could ever build. I had to build it in a way that I, if that was the commitment to operate it from anywhere on the planet, you have to build it a specific way to do that. Mm
1: -hmm. And it took
2: lots of trial and error to figure it out. But here we are.
0: Amazing. Amazing. How, like, managing the different time zones and running your business, how do you do that? I'm so fascinated by that.
2: So I plan everything a year in advance. So, um, and when I'm doing, like, when we're preparing the minute I know our dates for coming to Canada, for example, I'm on the school district website, I'm putting every single holiday professional development day, we're putting all that in the calendar. And then conversely, when we go to the other side of the world, uh, it's just flip flop So the one thing that would be the sacrifice or the, the give and take when we're in Africa, I wake up in the morning and the day is mine. I don't normally have that full experience, but then by about 3.30 in the afternoon, that's where I'm shifting gears and I'm going into work mode. And then I work until we try to have a hard stop by 7.30 p.m. so that I can still have dinner with my family, put Kennedy to bed and have a, a normal evening. And then it's kind of the reverse. When we're in Canada, I wake up in the morning, gym and everything is front loaded. But then it's calls during the day until after school to then round it out. So it actually doesn't it's not a big thing. It's just when I'm in North America, for example, and I have clients on that side of the world, then I'm, you know, doing those calls at six, six 30 in the morning.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. other I, than that, it works. And I'll say this, you know, as somebody who's worked with your company, I, and you have people working with your company all over the world. it's not just, you know, there's people in Australia, there's people all over I didn't feel that much of a difference. I mean, I didn't feel like, oh, I got to wait for an answer. Or, I mean, whatever you're doing with all of the people that work. With you.
2: Mm-hmm. And I so will amazing. say, yeah, with the people side of what we're doing, um, we try to have our customer facing team be in North America. And then we have our production teams around the world. And so oftentimes what ends up happening there is they'll we'll meet with clients and things on Zoom and then send it to our production teams wherever they are elsewhere. So that while we're sleeping, then we get the answer back or the piece. So it actually works beautifully. And currency arbitrage is a huge part of my strategy. So us earning as a company, we're a US-based company earning in dollars, but then uh, we're spending in foreign currencies around the world,
1: whether that's through our team or where we're living. That's a, that's super, super interesting. I, I want to move on to talk about Merak Publishing and, and that business. And just tell us a little bit about how you started that, why you started a boutique nonfiction publishing firm and uh, where it's at today. So, why
2: nonfiction was born just from my love of nonfiction books, truthfully. Mm-hmm. I, as a figure skater, I was introduced to sports psychologists and uh, performance psychology from the age of 10. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I really loved all of those kinds of books. But then when I went looking for a publisher for my own book back in 2003, You know, there was self-publishing, there was big house publishing, and there was everything in between, which in those days, there wasn't a whole lot in between. And I came away from that search thinking, oh, I don't think I really want any of those things. I knew as an author what I wanted, but I couldn't find it in the market. And whenever that experience presents itself to me, I kind of feel like it's my job to build it. So (laughs) when I published, I did self-publish, but I built that publishing imprint with intention that I would go on to serve and support other authors as well. So you can really think of our publishing company as being one that was built by an author for authors. And I really, I know in my own heart what I wanted. And as it turns out all these years later, as we now are publishing for a whole lot of people, uh, that it has held true in that what I want is oftentimes what they want too. And so it's been, it's a very specific cultural fit, even as a company and with our clients where the ones who want what we want, it's an easy, beautiful, direct match. And yeah, it's, it is truly one of the greatest honors and privileges of my lifetime. Uh, to be able to be at the helm of publishing specifically where we're helping to take the essence of a human being, put it into a form that will outlive them in this earthly lifetime Mm -hmm. where generation upon generation of their ancestors or people can know this person even after they've left the planet. And Mm -hmm. it just feels like sacred beautiful. It just feels like the privilege of a lifetime to be able to do this work.
1: I love just, that. And you see so many, you see so many people trying to get published. Just so many people just submitting queries to you. Like what, in your opinion, what makes a good book? What is a, what is a reason you would take a client versus not taking a client?
2: Yeah. So our secret sauce is what we call the books that we write on the ghostwriting side and publish are one part memoir, one part manual, and one part manifesto. Because manual books, how-to by themselves, are wonderful. But truthfully, ChatGPT and the advent of AI in the writing space, that could actually wipe out a how-to-based company who didn't employ these other kind of components to the books. And if you think of a pure how-to, oftentimes it comes away feeling like a bit of a textbook dry read. Then when you add the memoir, that's the storytelling aspect that makes your content come alive. And that is where the really unique stories of the thought leader or their clients or however they're presenting the memoir side of it gives it a richness that can't be duplicated because it's in those unique stories that really a lot of your X factor resides when you're trying to illustrate the how-to components of the manual piece. And then the manifesto, we want our authors to believe deeply that the work that they're about to put into the world, they want to make a dent in the universe somehow, some way. That's what they're aiming to do. And so the manifesto is that big audacious dream they hold in their heart for the transformation they hope that readers will undergo as a result of working with their content. And so that's how we know it's a Merak author, when they hit the high notes of all three of those. Because even if you think of reading a pure memoir, at the end of it, you you come away thinking, well, that was cool, but how do I create that transformation in my own life? So having all three of those parts really is for us the trifecta of awesome.
1: Ooh, mic drop. There you go.
0: What do you think holds back authors or potential authors from finishing? Like it's, there's so many people that have a book inside of them, but many, the majority of people can't finish. What do you think holds people back?
2: Well, I I love, love, love that you asked this question because unbeknownst to you, right now, my day-to-day life is being a software developer. So our Little Authors Academy that used to be an after-school enrichment program and summer camp program for kids, we're now turning into an ed tech software. And so what I'm learning in developing this is I am studying deeply the psychological pieces, the you know the inner critic the self talk the structural uh, motivation issues that authors go through when if you're writing fiction for example and you can't really figure out what's going to happen next in the plot line. So we're actually creating gamified um, ways for authors of all ages, not just little kids, to come into the software and write. And when you're not sure, like when you show up every day, Uh, to the software, and you click the mood meter to check in with how you're feeling. Because as an author, how you feel actually Mm -hmm. matters to the quality of the writing session that you're about to have. And so we've got lots of little uh, tips and tricks and ways, depending on how you're feeling, to get you into a productive zone that will then get you into the writing headspace. And so I think that's the greatest obstacle to completion Is ourselves and really learning how to overcome all the different aspects of imposter syndrome and writer's block and inner critic and procrastination, you know, distraction. There are millions of things and that's being able to overcome that is magical. And so that's what we're really aiming to do through technology is to help people get past it.
0: Yeah, that's a real that's a real issue because so many people can't finish. I've also gotten good advice where most of the best writers read a lot also. And I know that Bill to Sell is one of your favorite and annual reads. Why is that the case?
2: What I love about, I just believe so deeply, and I think you can probably hear it in most of the stories I've told you, the beginning with the end in mind is such a powerful strategy. And so I always think, Well, if we look at what our end game is for our lives, for our businesses, for ourselves and our families, then reverse engineering is the way to go. So if built to sell implies that you're going to build a company in order to sell it. And I think every entrepreneur wants to have a company that is so rich in valuation Whether they choose to sell it or not, and I just believe this book does such a magical thing where I reread it every year so that it's written where the first time you read it, you'll get a whole bunch of nuggets, but then you'll implement those nuggets over the year. And then when you reread it the next year, you're rereading it through the lens of something different. And so by doing that each year, I find that it just has really continued to add valuation value in terms of me thinking the way it ought to be if I were going to sell, even if I don't intend to.
0: Interesting. Great book recommendation there. And then I know you're a fan of coaches and I'm curious as to why do you feel that no matter how successful people get, you can always need and use a coach? Why is that your philosophy?
2: Oh, (laughs) because I feel like Every game in life or business is won or lost right here between the mm-hmm. ears. And it is an ever evolving thing to be able to look at your mindset, to see what the beliefs are that you hold, that you may be completely unaware that you hold that are holding mm-hmm. you back and having someone to get into those blind spots with you to help pull the answer out of you, because In coaching, it is a two-way dialogue that's question-based where the answer resides in the participant. And so being coached, the answer lives in me. I just can't get to it on my own. So in the same way that when we're birthing a baby, um, having a midwife or having somebody who is a support person to help facilitate that, That what is what I believe coaching is all about, and the best coaches are the ones who can really hold up the mirror and help you see what's holding yourself back, so that you can then get to those answers that'll help you blast past that and move to a next level of evolution.
1: I love that, and I agree. I mean, I think Amani and I totally agree with that. You know, Mm -hmm. especially as entrepreneurs. You don't have a director of operations or a general manager. You don't have anybody holding you accountable. And sometimes you do need that mentorship or somebody holding that mirror to you. So um I love that you brought that up. And I, I kind of want to build on that, but from a kid's perspective, of you know, something I learned from you early on when we first met is, you know, I always thought that I had to be a grown-up to write a book. And 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 when you talk about you know, you talk about young authors and you talk about the little authors Academy. When you talk about that, you know, what you taught me is like, I don't want kids to think they have to wait to write a book until they're grown up. Like I want kids to be able to know they can do this like right away. So can you talk about some of the work you do with little authors and young authors Academy and, and what shift you see? Cause I I've seen some of the young authors books that you've published and they're awesome. So I'm just curious, like what what that's about, and and how we can continue to inspire people to start. Don't wait till you're you know 40 plus years old like I was. You know, like do it now when you're a kid. I think that philosophy actually doesn't even need to
2: focus on the next generation and young people. I think it starts with the everyday things in our lives. So philosophically, waiting to use your best china for a special event, for example, mm-hmm. means that you're not gonna use it very often, right? Mm-hmm. Or waiting to wear your grandmother's ring or whatever it is, we, we as a culture and a society, we're always kind of waiting to do these things. And sometimes that ends up pushing back our joy and mm-hmm. not in, allowing it to be with us every moment. And so I think that as that relates to writing, it really being a published author, there's a piece that is from a personal brand standpoint, you have to step into it because there's when you put yourself in the ring, now you've opened yourself up to criticism yes. and everyone hates rejection. That is like judgment, rejection, all of those different things. So you can see the layers in everything we've talked about today, having the courage to be fearless, to make mistakes on the regular so that you get used to getting in the ring and building that muscle. The same thing goes with writing. We live in a time and a place where technology allows print on demand. It's so fantastic. (laughs) So if you go forth and you publish a book, and let's say you realize, oh, I've put the wrong statistic in there or something, well, we now live in a, a day place in time where you can actually modify the interior as long as it's not material changes, which would warrant a new edition, but you can make the change to the statistic, do the re-upload and the new from that moment forward, every book that gets printed is printed with the correct interior. And so that fear of making mistakes that ought to help people to some degree, But then just knowing the human side of it is just remembering that every single person that is on this planet wakes up and they're we are all imperfect beings and the more that we can encourage and inspire each other to say hey just get it out there and don't worry so much i'll be here i'll still love you no matter what even if it flops great, then that'll be an opportunity for us to have a party to pick up the pieces together. Mm -hmm. I think that banning together and empowering one another, that's what we're doing for kids, but it's the same thing we're doing for adults. Mm -hmm. Is just helping you to breathe deeply to share that work that you've been working on with another human being and trusting that what you're putting forth if you're putting yourself into the ring, you know, I think it was Brene Brown in her Netflix series, A Call to Courage, where she said, you know, if you're the one in the ring, like, it's only other people in the ring whose opinions ought to count. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Totally. That's, that's I love that.
0: Quote. I have to look up to see who said well, While I'm looking up to see who said that, Mandy, ask your next question because that's a great quote.
1: Well, I do. You referenced it a little bit earlier, but I am curious about the role of AI in in publishing right now. You know, I mean, obviously, it's a hot topic with the Screen Actors Guild and everything. And there's some fear surrounding it, but there's also some excitement. It's an extra tool in our toolbox. Like, what's your philosophy on how AI plays in the publishing world?
2: Well, it's going to be a really interesting thing to watch how it evolves so that we can ensure that books that are being produced, uh, like now, um, our head of publishing was just telling me the other day, Ash was saying there's now a new box uh, when we're doing interiors and we're working with Amazon, where you have to actually sort of acknowledge if your book has been created at all using generative AI. So categorically, I'm expecting that those books will be treated differently than ones where the box is not checked. I can't say that for sure, but I know there are definitely strides being taken all over the place to ensure that what is being created that way is held separately In the same way that when you look at the New York Times bestseller list, there is now, for example, a little sort of dagger icon uh, that differentiates books that have found their way to the list uh, in a non-organic way versus those (laughs) who have gotten on the list in an organic way. You know what I'm saying, Amadi. Yeah, Uh, yeah. (laughs)
0: Yes. You're going around it, but you can say what you want to say. That makes me laugh. (laughs)
2: Exactly. And so I think that if those guardrails are put in place, you know, I love when I think of Little Authors Academy, which is kids in grades one through four, for those kids to be able to utilize their ideas that they can come up with as prompts to have some generative support on the back end to just continue to get the popcorn uh, kernels popping I think that's going to be magnificent. And one of the the, um, pieces that we're working on is, you know, as an author and even as a reader, so many readers are frustrated when the movie comes out because the picture in their mind of what these characters, you know, was as a reader is oftentimes not in alignment with whatever the production company has done. And so one of the ways that we're using AI is, to creatively allow our authors to take a character style sheet and be able to render it so they can actually get a true picture that is on point for them as the author of what they want that character to look Mm, like.
1: Wow. So that,
2: yes, and that's something that I haven't really seen a whole lot that's been done like that. Uh, And that takes all the guesswork away so that as they're able to produce merchandise or different things that have these rendered characters that are true to what the author themselves want it to look like. uh, I think that's going to change the game in terms of how you can take a book to a movie or a short film, even as an independent that is completely separate to cutting out the networks and things, because having that body of work that you can then extrapolate into a lot of different uh, things is going to be a really exciting new way for especially fiction writers to blow the lid off their creativity I think it's going to be amazing
1: fascinating that's so yes. interesting
0: yes we have come to the point in the show where we flip the script and allow you to ask myself and Mandy a question any question you'd like to ask us so with that who do you want to ask a question to first
2: I'm going to ask you both the same question. It's the same question that when we do group interviews for our team, we always, and like this goes back to, yeah, probably 2002. We've been asking this as the number one interview question every time, <laughs> which is if you could meet any five people alive or from history, they can even be fictional. Who would they be? Mm, mm. Dun, okay. dun, dun, dun. Have we you ever been asked the- that
1: question on your podcast? No, nope. but yeah.
0: first time for this one. What if
1: we uh, if what if what if we don't answer the right way? Do we not get to work for you? Are we not potential future <laughs> candidates for your company? <laughs> There's no right way to answer it. Although oh. I will
2: tell you that we're data geeks at, at my company. We absolutely love patterning data and seeing uh-huh. where the threads are. Mm-hmm. And with the organizing company specifically. When we profiled our A-listers and then we went back and looked at their interview answers, without exception, 100% of them had Oprah on their list of five.
1: Well, that's, she's my number one. She's, oh, Oprah, Oprah, oops. I love some OPS. She's my number one. What's your, who's on your list, money?
0: I thought, well, you need four more, Mandy.
1: Oh, oh, you don't want to go back and forth? How should we do this? Oh, we can go
0: back and forth. So number one on my list,
1: okay. let's go
0: back and forth. So number one okay, on my list, Babyface, Babyface, the musician.
1: Wow. Tell us why. Uh-huh. Oh. oh,
0: tell us Ah, uh, it's just a phenomenal songwriter with the lyrics, the melodies. He's gonna go butt down as one of the best songwriters in history. And I love his music, it got me through some tough times as a little kid, as a grown adult, all that. So I just and I just want to ask him how ask him further, because I've heard him on interviews. How does he get inspired to write these lyrics that are just so poignant?
1: Ooh, that's good. Uh, do I have yeah. to answer why I want to meet Oprah? Or that's is that kind of okay. I mean, <laughs> Oops, she she is the end all all I mean, she her story of how she started and the tenacity and how she didn't want to be in TV anymore. And she's always trusted her gut. She's done so many different things with media. Her voice has changed over the years, has her body has changed. She stepped into her power. I just I love I love her whole story. And uh and I, you know, I think that she's spectacular. So Oops would be my number one. Amani, who's your number two? Yeah
0: number two mariah carey you see her picture back there so you know big mariah fan like you know just just want to talk to about once again some of the lyrics her career coming up staying relevant that's number two
1: okay mine's woody harrelson i i just think first of all he's so cute and i love his acting i just think he would be a good hang like, I, I'm just curious, is he as cool and fun and interesting to hang out with in person as he seems to be everywhere else? I think he'd be a good hang. Yes. yes. Okay. okay.
0: Number three for me, Nelson Mandela, just for like his, like the mindset, what he went through and still, you know, just so strong, just very strong and just how he got through the tough times there. Um, that's just, yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. Um, Alex Trebek, R.I.P. Alex Trebek. I would... I... I, The integrity that he has, and when he came onto the game show scene, and it was at a time where there was all this scandal with game shows, and hosts were being paid off, and letting contestants win, and when he started Jeopardy, he was so all about the integrity, to the point where people would make fun of him for his aloofness, but he did that by design, because he wanted to make sure he put his he drew a line in the sea on that. Like he, he isn't friends with the contestants and this is a game show and this is important. And, uh, and then, you know, I read his book too. He's, he's a, he's a fascinating Renaissance man. Like he had a, he had a vineyard. He loves woodworking. He's just, he seems like very interesting. Like somebody could just sit with and hear stories all day.
0: Love it. Okay. So mine is a fictional character. So Will Trent, there's this, there's Will Trent books. They're phenomenal books and he's, just a really highly skilled investigator can read people's emotions and everything like that. He'd be a cool, like non or fictional person to meet.
1: Ooh. I've never heard of Will Trent before.
0: Oh, you got to read the books. They did the TV show, just like Krista said, they did the TV show and I'm just not quite satisfied with how <laughs> they did it because it had a certain picture and they flipped it up a little bit and they're missing the love interest, which is so important. So Aww. I digress. I digress.
1: Uh, Kendra Scott. I, uh, I I I love her. I think I think she gets not a bad rap, but I think people think she's just like a crafty mom. But she's a crafty mom who runs a multi-billion dollar company and she stayed true to her craft, her design, her colors. Um, I just I think she's super interesting. And she just wrote a great book that I read called Born to Shine. Um, and yeah, and I love it. And I love I love the stuff that she does for philanthropy, where she gives you the opportunity to host an event and a portion of it can go to a charity of choice and stuff. So I just like her commitment to entrepreneurs and to charity too.
0: So then my fifth is I have the three different prongs to my answer.
1: But oh. the first
0: <laughs> one is, is is you mentioned this before about when you talk to your daughter about what did you fail today? And the first person I ever heard talk about this was Sarah Blakely from Spanx. Mm. And so I wrote about her in my first book. So I would definitely want to talk to her. Then like, Second would be Denzel Washington, because he's Denzel Washington, so of course, got to talk to him. And then third, like, would be my dad, because my dad passed away about 19 and a half years ago, and I was doing something completely different. Hadn't written a book, hadn't started being a professor, hadn't been a DJ, so my life is completely different now than it was back then, so I would love to just talk to him about it and be like, what do you think, this, that, so that's my answer.
1: Maybe I love um, money. It's so funny. I love that cuz I was thinking that I want my fifth one to be my grandpa Jim who
2: who mm-hmm. I met
1: but he passed when I was 12 years old. And mm-hmm. my book is dedicated to my mom and my grandpa Jim because they were the writers in our family, you know? And I and when grandpa Jim died, we we're cleaning out the garage and we found we knew he wrote poems, which was awesome. But we also found all these perverted poems which were hilarious. <laughs> like, oh, all these d- that rhyme like they weren't so dirty that it's like inappropriate for 12 year old to five they were just silly and um and now that i you know same thing now that i wrote a book and i love this other life and you know and my mom's a grandmother and so i'm just i i'm curious of what his opinion of how everybody's lives turned out would be so it's just funny we both picked fifth fifth people that were very very personally important to us
2: yeah well yeah. I, maybe that should be the next book we publish mandy is pervy poetry from uncle jim Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God.
1: Oh, my God. I once, I actually once met a client who told me that she was going to write a book called "Inappropriate Lady Poems," and I'm like, that sounds very <laughs> interesting. Oh, I would read That's all seller. of that. That's seller, so right? Funny. <laughs> so It's so dirty. Okay. So. Am <laughs> not are you blushing? If I don't make yeah. you blush at least one one interview a day, I I, sure. I, yes. I haven't done my job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess our kind of our final question. I'm curious to your answer because I've been so struck with just how strong your mindset is and how you just that's what you think and if we were to go back to talk to Krista when she was just turning 21 probably leaving college getting ready to attack the world but give her advice based on what you know now what advice would you give your younger self
2: oh it's that be yourself I mean I I was so people pleasing and just feeling like I, you know I didn't know who I was but I didn't also go looking. You know, I kept looking to discover my purpose and my passions and like thinking they were out there somewhere when in truth, they are inside you. And so it's more a a process of unearthing, but the unearthing is just the raw materials. You actually have to create yourself to be who you want to be. But using the raw materials of your authentic, true nature. And so, yeah, boy, I sure wish that I could have helped her to not be afraid to fail and to not worry about what other people thought and to just spend more time going inward than looking outside.
1: Mm, That's powerful.
0: Yes, we have your website on the ticker. How else can we further support you and share just all your goodness with the rest of our audiences here and beyond?
2: Well, I think truthfully, it's just knowing that if there is something that I've said that resonates with you, with your audience, just knowing that I'm accessible and my team are accessible and we are go givers and we care deeply about helping individual people make transformation that will get them further into the path of them living the life they were created to live and being the people they were created to be. So I would say whatever comes from this in any person who's listening, you know, let that be the one place you're not afraid, which is to reach out and get the support to help you figure out who you are and who you want to be. And mm-hmm. to ask others around you, what's your unique genius? So, because sometimes it's very obvious to the people around you those things that's maybe not obvious to ourselves. So yes. in that way.
1: There I have a, another final, a quick final question too, for parents out there that see a spark of something in their kid. Um, it, when it comes to writing, what advice do you have for parents and what guidance can you give them to help them to start writing sooner? Help the kids start writing sooner
2: yes yes please pretty please come and send me a message so we'll put you on the waiting list so that as the authors academy unfolds uh we're looking for user testers we're looking for people to walk through the software with us and just make sure and so far i mean these kids around the world that we've interviewed it's very exciting because we really think we've got some magic here uh but just help us help you by putting you on the list and seeing how we can help get those books to completion. Cause Amani, you're exactly right that that is the most important thing is just getting it from inside you into a form that's completed that could then go on to be published or not, but just getting it to completion, the empowerment that comes from that for that you'll it will carry through your entire life.
0: Mm,
1: that's great. Good stuff.
0: A round of applause for Krista here. So well done. We will put you back in the green room and talk to you once we're finished. But um, just thank you very much. We loved having you here and can't wait to follow and continue to learn from you. This was this was a masterclass.
1: Masterclass that I will re-listen to over and over. Thanks for your time, Krista. We love having you. Thank you. Yes. it really, the honor and the privilege was all mine
0: amazing
1: thank you for tuning in to adventures in business don't forget to rate and review our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening it on and don't forget to share it with your friends and anybody that might be as much of the business nerds as Amani and I are see you next time for another captivating interview